want you to think in your mind for just a minute of some of the things that you've heard um, unbelievers say negatively about Christians. We can go one extreme and think about, well, we're uptight, we have lots of rules, thou shalt not, you know, things like that. Um, but I'm thinking a little more charitable um, in some cases. We have things that unbelievers will think and say about us as a, as a faith, um, and sometimes we as believers tend to think that way as well. So specifically what I'm thinking of here is the idea that, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Why would a God who loves you, and if your God is everything that you say he is, why would he let this bad or negative event you know, happen to your life? Why would he let these things happen to the world? Or you might hear some people who, um, again, are unbelievers, and sometimes even those who are believers, say, well, you know, I'll make sure I uh, attend church a couple times a year so I get some, some good points in with the Lord, or maybe I'll give a little extra money. We've seen people over the years do this as well. They think, well, I have a good amount of money. I'll give some to the church, and surely that'll score me some points, so to speak, with the Lord. We may not say it that way, but we hear these things a lot. In fact, we might even think on many occasions, and I want you to listen close to me, we might even think that, well, if things are going well for us, then God is clearly pleased with the way I'm living and rewarding me. And the opposite, which is, well, things are going really bad, God must be very unhappy with the way that I'm living. We ought to be very careful about these things. Those of you who know me know I'm a bit of a contrarian. I should, probably should say more than a bit. Quite a bit of a contrarian. I used to love to tease people. I still do. And uh, particularly, I remember in college, I would say this a lot, and I think I've said it here once before. I remember we were sitting around one night in the dorm room, and we were at a Christian college, and we were kind of sharing things that God had done in our lives, and it, it took an interesting turn, and the next thing you know, everybody was sharing these stories about how, you know, uh, something happened inside their home, and they left 30 seconds to 60 seconds later than they should have, and if they'd been on time, they would have been involved in a car accident. Right, we've all had stories like that and things like that, and it seemed like everybody had these stories, and it came to me, and they were expecting me to share one, and I was the contrarian. I said, well, I said, I don't know that I have any of those stories. So it's an interesting question, though. We assume that because a good outcome happened, it was of the Lord. Maybe Satan knows that some of you are going to do powerful things for him in the future and wanted to keep you alive. Nobody liked that answer. So the point I'm trying to make here this morning is we have a lot of preconceived notions, both for those who are believers and those who aren't, about the way we think God works and specifically the way we think God ought to work. We base all that on how we understand things and how we view the world, and less on how God views the world and God views us. Along with this same idea, we can think of perhaps this thing we call the prosperity gospel that says, well, all you have to do is name it and claim it, or just believe, or read these verses, and God's going to give you all these good things. If you just give an evangelist enough money, or you pray hard enough, and you get all the good things. But God doesn't work that way. The scriptures are very clear about this, and any suggestion otherwise is clearly twisting it. And what we see over and over again with that concept is that we're trying to use God uh, for our good, but God uses us. 
We don't use him. We have no control over him. We can't demand anything of him. We have no right to demand anything of him. But he certainly does have the right to demand things of us. And so it's exactly opposite what we hear. And in all of this, again, I want to go back to how I started and point out that many times we will judge the things going on in our lives or the things going on in others' lives or the things going on in our country or nation or the world and say, well, if it's good, clearly God is happy with us. And if it doesn't seem good to us, then clearly God is unhappy with us. And I'm here to tell you, I don't think that's the case all the time. Sure, it is sometimes. And in fact, sometimes we have uh, long periods of times in our lives that we go through tremendous trials and struggles. And I'm looking at so many of you who have gone through so many similar things. Times in your lives that, let's be honest, you'd rather not have experienced, right? Things in your lives that you would rather not have happened than did disappointments, frustrations, physical issues, relatives who've passed away, people who've betrayed us, on and on and on. We have all these things in our lives that have gone on, and we like, you know, if I could go back and edit a few things out, they would be gone. Here's the point I really want to make today. Sometimes we don't get blessed until the end. Sometimes we don't see the excess of God's love for us until things are over. Until those dark days, those uh, negative things have passed, we don't always see the good that can come of it and the benefits that can come of it. Many, many times as we go through our trials, whatever they are, God gives us just enough to get by. And it's not sometimes until after we're past these events and we've remained obedient and faithful, and that's key here, that we can look back and see where God blesses us. And so to help you understand this concept that I'm trying to illustrate with us today, I'm going to look at a few folks in the scriptures. Now, it was actually really hard to pick out just a few because there's lots of examples of this. In fact, the scriptures are full of examples of this. We like to somehow look at all of these uh, folks who are in the scriptures uh, and think, well, they had a wonderful life because they did what God wanted them to do. <laughs> really? You think Daniel had it great? I mean, there were times. What about Paul, the apostle? Beaten, shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, stoned either almost to death or actually to death, etc., etc. All these people, you think Jonah had a good time in the belly of the whale? We looked at him for a long time and wondered if he came out white, having been bleached from all the acid in his stomach. And there's all types of things and everything, and we, we want to just remember the good parts, but let's not skip over the struggle. So let me just illustrate a few things, and we'll try and point out some examples. I'm going to go fairly quickly. You can try and uh, turn if you want, but I'm just going to kind of go rather quickly. Let's talk about Abraham for a minute. Abraham... Uh, near the beginning in Genesis, had everything he could really want. Good family, decent amount of money, probably good status, son of a well-known father. And then God came along and said, I tell you what, Abraham, I want you to leave everything you know and follow me somewhere where you've never been before. In fact, I'm not even going to tell you where we're going. I'm just going to go before you. But I promise you I'll bless you in the end. Do you think that was easy for Abraham? Just put yourself in that situation. God tongue comes to you and says, I tell you what, 
Tomorrow morning, you're going to get up. You're going to leave your family. You're going to pack up everything you own. You're going to go to a foreign country where you don't know the language. You don't know the culture. You don't know the people. You don't know anyone else that's there. And you're just going to go, and I'm going to bless you. Think that would always be fun? I don't think so at all. But God did richly bless Abraham. Genesis 12, 1 through 4 says this, Now the Lord has said unto Abraham, Get thee out of the country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, and unto the land that I will show you. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless you, and curse them that curse you. And you shall have all families of the earth be blessed. And so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And of course, we know what happened to Abraham. He went through some really hard times, but overall, when he looks back, you can clearly see that God was blessing him in the end. What about Jacob? Also in the book of Genesis, we see Jacob. He goes and he has some rough experiences in life and he finds Laban and begins working for him. He works for him for 20 years. Laban mistreats him nearly the entire time. The scripture says, we'll read it in a second, he changed his wages 10 times. He tricked him in marrying his daughters. You remember this? And they said, well, work seven more. I'll give you the one you really want. He did all kinds of things to Jacob. You think that was a pleasurable experience? I don't think it was. And in addition to that, he was a, a shepherd, so he was out uh, working with the sheep and no doubt had to worry about the cold and the bears and all those types of things that were going on, just like we hear from the psalmist David. And no doubt there are many a nights that Jacob sat on a rock thinking to myself, what a raw deal. Genesis 31 and 38 tells us a little bit of insight here. He's talking to Laban. He says, This 20 years have I been with you. Your ewes and your goats have not cast their young, and the rams of the flock I have not eaten. That which was torn of the beasts I have not unto thee, I have bared the loss of it. Of my hand dost thou not require, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was in the day, drought consumed me, and in the frost by night, and my uh, sleep departing from my eyes. Thus I have been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters, and six years for your cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times. Except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the, um, and the fear of Isaac has been with me. Surely thou hast sent me away now empty. God has seen my affliction and my labor of my hands, and has rebuked the last night. And so we see uh, um, here this example, again, didn't have a comfortable life. None of us would like to live like that. But we can see what happened if you go earlier in that chapter. I read it out of order. We see that God richly blessed Jacob with a tremendous amount of flock and kept him safely on the way out. And so he could look back after those 20 trying years and say, God was good to me. Well, what about the Israelites? They spent 400 years living as slaves. 400 years. That's getting close to about the time, or about half the time of our country's founding. And so, we, again, we can think about how long 400 years is. 400 years is long enough to forget who you are as a people, as a culture, which is why God had to teach them again and train them as they left. 
So 400 years, back-breaking work, and we know all the stories. You've probably seen the, the, the picture books as a children and seen the, the movies and everything. Uh, slaving away, building day in and day out, working for taskmasters, being whipped, and all those types of manner of things. You think they were happy? Of course they weren't. In fact, they cried out to God saying, deliver us. And God did indeed send a deliverer. Now here's something I want to point out. Exodus 12 Verse 36, something you may never have noticed before. As they were leaving, after 400 years of being slaves, it says, And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they lent unto them things such as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. Now, that may not be a great translation for us younger folks who don't understand what that word spoiled means. That means spoiled as in they took everything. They plundered Egypt. People were so happy to be rid of them, they gave them their gold, their jewelry, their tools, their implements, and said, just leave us alone. And 400 years later comes the benefit, comes the blessing that God orchestrated in all of this. Of course, they cross over the Red Sea. There's tremendous blessings there but then they get hungry and God sends manna every day now there's an important lesson with this if you read Exodus 16 and 20 we see that the manna would spoil if they kept it overnight and the goal of this was to teach the Israelites that you had to go every morning to the Lord to get that which you need and some people thought they would keep extra but the next morning it had rotted and spoiled and grown worms. And so when we think about blessings in our lives, when we think about the excess, we think about the good things, we try and pile it all in together, it may not last. Because we're taught to be obedient every single day to seek after God. And eventually their reward was a land that was literally dripping with honey. A land that had grapes so big, two men had to carry one section of grapes. Imagine how big of a vine that would be. You ever thought, I, I never thought about that until recently, right? Had, two men had to put a pole to carry one cluster of grapes. That vine had to be enormous. That's how good and rich God blessed the Israelites when they were obedient, finally learned obedience. Now it took them 40 years of hard learning. But they finally learned obedience, and God richly blessed them. But the blessing and the excess came after the trial, after they were obedient, after they went through a hard time. What about Job? Well, he lost absolutely everything. Almost everything. All of his possessions, all of his children, most of his friends. He lost absolutely everything. But the scripture records, and I'll just summarize, that in the end, he had more than he started with. I hope you're starting to see the point. Job remained faithful, though he questioned was wrong numerous times. He remained faithful to the Lord, and God blessed him in the end. But it wasn't a pleasant journey to get there. What about Elijah and the widow? Just enough oil and flour every day to make the same meal over and over again. 
There wasn't a lot left over. In fact, it doesn't seem like there was anything left over. And every day, just enough flour, just enough oil to make yet another loaf or two of bread to feed them just for that single day. And you wonder, where's the excess there? Where's the blessing? Well, when her son died, Elijah brought him back to life. And we see the excess in the blessing. About Christ, speaking of food, he was tempted for 40 days in the desert, and he had no food. That's the longest anyone here has ever gone without eating. Probably nowhere near 40 days. Imagine how hard that would be. Again, we have to remember that while Jesus Christ certainly is God incarnate, he is also man. And so I think that was a real hunger. It was a real pain that he probably went through. And it was a real temptation because he was really hungry when Satan came and said, well, here, turn these stones into bread. And you wonder, well, where's the blessing from that? Well, Luke records, I'm sorry, Matthew records, that after he had endured the temptation, the angels came and ministered to him. So Christ put up with, for 40 days, fasting in the wilderness. He had the temptation of Satan personally who came and tried to tempt him to do things against his father. And what was his reward in the end? The angels came and took care of him. I'd like to be taken care of by an angel. I'm sure you would too. What about the sower in the field? This is a parable taught by Christ. The sower goes out and toils and works to plant the seed. Any farmers in here, anybody who's not a farmer, will probably know if you go out and plant one seed, what do you expect to get? One plant again. Now, you hope that that plant has multiple things that buds and blooms and blossoms. But listen, we're generally used to planting a one-for-one. We go out and plant one corn, we get one corn. Might get a couple of ears. The scripture says that that can be a hundredfold. The blessing of increasing by a hundred. Mary was greatly troubled by her pregnancy. We've talked about this recently on Sunday nights. Imagine being Mary and being pregnant and saying, I I didn't have sex. The Holy Spirit impregnated me. (coughs) Sounds pretty wild. I guarantee it did then. Guarantee you she had some people say some things that weren't very nice. She went through some really hard times. But listen, in the end, the Bible tells us that she is blessed above all women. And she received a blessing. What about Peter, James, and John? Remember how Christ called them? Been out fishing all night, couldn't catch anything. Christ says, cast your nets on their side. And they do. And the nets are so full, they're going to break. And they get to shore. And Christ says, you know what? I know that this is the biggest catch of your life. I know that the only possessions you probably own are your nets and your boats, and your dad is standing there, but you know what? I want you to leave all of that behind, and I want you to follow me to wherever I go. And they leave it all behind. Has God ever told you to give up everything? So, again, stay with me for just a minute. They give up everything they have, the biggest take they've ever had in their business. They leave, uh, two of them, their dad behind. They leave their boats, they leave their nets, and they go on and follow Jesus Christ. And you think that was easy for three years? 
People constantly mobbing around him, wanting to be healed. People trying to stone him. People trying to kill him. People trying to betray him. All the ups and downs of walking every day with Christ, walking all over the countryside, sleeping outside, not a place to lay his head is what the Bible tells us. On and on and on they endured and they endured and they endured and then he's dead. Imagine for three days what they thought. I just wasted everything. Maybe Peter even wondered, I wonder if I can get my boat back. <laughs> and he wakes up one morning and he says, I'm going fishing. And he convinces a couple of disciples to go with him. Now, mind you, they weren't supposed to go fishing. They were supposed to wait. God told them to wait. And Peter says, I'm going to go fishing again. Maybe Peter thinks to himself, for all I've lost, for all that I've given up, I'm going to go make up time. I've wasted three years of my life. I don't know this is what he thought. I'm just adding here. I'm going to go get back what I've lost. Got to do something. And he goes out and they fish all night. And what happens? Nothing. Until a familiar voice calls out and says, try one more time. And look at what happens. The last chapter of John, they have a catch so full, their nets almost begin to break. The second boat has to go out to bring it to shore. One of my favorite parts is they said that they get there and Peter, he pulled the net in. Now, if it's hard enough, you need two boats to get a net through the water. Imagine pulling it up onto shore. Peter had some interesting supernatural strength there, didn't he? You know what God gave back to them? Everything and more they gave up for him. And it took three years, and it wasn't easy to get there. Lastly, I want to point out somebody who was also rewarded. It's the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross looked unto Jesus as his Savior and was saved. And Jesus Christ looked at him and said, Today you will be in my Father's house. He never got his reward back. For his sacrifice on earth, but he got it back in heaven, didn't he? Matthew 6.33 says, first and most importantly, this is a different translation, but first and most importantly, seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you also. You see, the reality is good times or bad times, we are to first seek the kingdom of God and then everything else that doesn't really matter will be added to us at the appointed time. It doesn't say seek you first the kingdom of God and I'll give you only good things. It also doesn't say seek first the kingdom of God and it's only going to give you trouble. It says that God will give us what we need when we need it if we are following after him, if we are obedient to what God tells us to do. Now, how long do we have to be obedient in the hard times? As long as it takes. 400 years? What about 40 days? What about the thief on the cross? A few hours? Brothers and sisters, I don't know what God has called you to do. I don't know what type of trial that you're going through. I don't know. Maybe some of you are just going through the best time of your life. But the reality is we should seek God first, and then everything else gets added unto us. 
Philippians 4.19, again, a different, slightly different translation. And my God will liberally supply according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. God will give us what we need when we need it. And he promises to do that. But we may not see the abundance and may not experience the excess until after. We may not see what comes until much later. Psalm 16 and 5, The Lord is the portion of my inheritance, my cup. You support my lot. And Proverbs 30 and 7 through 9 says, Two things have I asked of you. Listen closer to this. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9. Two things have I asked of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the good that is my portion, so that I will not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I will not be poor and steal, and so profane the name of my God. We are given an important lesson here that we should remember. When we have an abundance in life, it doesn't automatically mean that God's blessing us. Just because things are going really well. I've mentioned this numerous times in the past. I'll just mention it very briefly today. I got a job offer once, and it seemed like a good thing, and I shouldn't have taken it. I've had other things that didn't seem like a good deal, and I should have done it. Just because something seems better doesn't mean it's what God wants you to do. Just because something seems worse doesn't mean it's not what God wants you to do. Just because you're being blessed now or not being blessed now doesn't mean you're with God the way you ought to be. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else comes along. And that's why I said both as believers and non-believers, we tend to have this mindset of, well, if this is a good thing. If it's a, if it's a job with more money, I should do that because God is telling me and blessing me through giving me what I think that I want. Therefore, I should do this. Maybe. Maybe not. The only way to know is to be obedient to him. And so let us not always base what we should do or shouldn't do on how good we think it's going to give something to us because sometimes we go through a hard time. And sometimes we don't see the blessing until the end. We sang just a minute ago, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a beautiful song. A song I dare say the Lord has used for many people to help them through very hard times. And you'll remember, I think, that the author had lost everything in the great Chicago fire and sent his family across the sea. And then the ship sank. And his wife sent him a letter. said, saved alone. Lost his daughters. I'm benefiting because he was obedient to the Lord. He wrote that as he passed over the area where the ship sank. How many of you have gone through points in your life that have been devastating on many, many levels? I mean, the things that bring you to your knees, the things that cut you off, that take your breath away, that cause you to cry, that are so dramatic you don't even know how to respond. And the lesson is to be obedient to the Lord. 
Because the blessing, the excess, the good things, they come later. Sometimes they come later in life. John was restored, both in fish and in his relationship with Christ in that same chapter. Job got everything back in his life. The thief didn't. The thief died. But he got heaven. And you see, the reality is, when we consider that there is eternity, which is hard for us to do, and we consider that our reward, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done, is eternal uh, peace with him in heaven, if we have believed and we are confident that that is our reward, then no matter what we go through here, we know that in the end, God is winning, and because he wins, I win. Not because I told him he had to, not because I named it and claimed it, not because I had my best life now, but I will have my best life then, when I get to see my Savior. That is what should keep us going. That is what should keep us obedient to the Lord. That is what should keep us focused on the good times. We shouldn't lose our focus, as this verse said, or on the bad times. Let me read it again. Two things I've asked of you. Do not deny them of me before I die. Keep deception of lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, how many of you have prayed that? Don't give me riches, Lord. Feed me with the good that is my portion. Let me be satisfied with what you've given me. How many of us pray that? So that I will not be full and deny you. And that I will not be poor and steal and profane you. See, through everything we go through in life, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad, the disappointments, and the successes. Everything we do in life, our prayer should be that we get our portion, we'd be happy with whatever it is that God gives us, understanding that it might not feel great at the time. But that if we remain obedient, God will bless us. We should seek enough. Enough. And we should remember that our current prosperity is no more a sign than our lack of blessings. I'm reminded Matthew 5.45, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And Luke 16.25, it says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus likewise bad things. But now he is comforted here while you are in severe agony. See, if you recall that account from the scriptures in the book of Luke, we see the rich man who had everything he wanted in life, more than he could possibly imagine. What's his reward? He's literally burning in hell and would trade everything for a single drop of water on his tongue. And the other guy had nothing. So bad that dogs would come and lick his wounds as he laid on the side of the street. Nothing in this life. And what is his reward? 
to be with our Lord and Savior. And so we must be very cautious and careful as we go through life that we don't judge our success based on what's good and what's bad to our perception. That we don't judge other people based on what's good or bad happening in their lives. That we instead seek the Lord to remain obedient to him, to know him and love him with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. That we don't seek complete comfort in this life, but enough. That we don't seek prosperity, but enough. Because we don't always see the excess. We don't always see the blessings. We don't always see the fruit that comes after. And sometimes we'll never see it. And sometimes we don't know the blessing until we turn around and see it. You ever gone through a really, really hard time and then realized it was really a blessing? God changed you. God used you. God grew you. And you know what? While you may not want to go through that again, you're the better for it. Because that's how God works. We must be very, very careful not to join the world and thinking that somehow if things are going right, God is happy with us. And if things are going bad, God is unhappy with us. In fact, the scripture kind of teaches the opposite. It's hard to know where to stop here, okay? But there's so many scriptures that explain this and show this so clearly. Jesus Christ himself says, you think I came to bring peace? Nope. I came to bring a sword. Is there peace in your life right now? Wisdom is shown to be right by what results from it. Christ said that in Matthew. I don't know what your life is. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know whether God is blessing you or not. I don't know whether you're perceiving a blessing when it's not. Remember, the love of money is the root of all evil, right? We can pursue that too much, even if we're blessed. We can pursue anything too much. In fact, I think that's a better explanation. We do and should get really caught up. We do and should point out that we should not do things to excess. Boy, how much in our life do we just get doing and doing and focusing and focusing and somehow think, well, this is good, so it must be right. So my challenge today is to consider, are you where God wants you to be? That begins at the point of salvation. Because again, going back to Lazarus, as he looks across the chasm, The rich man who had everything in this life, had a good life, is still, still, thousands of years later, asking for one drop of water. And the poor man who had nothing is still feasting at the table of the king. And until you realize that in your life for the first time, until God convicts you of your unbelief and your sin, and you seek after him, and you pray to him, and you find the peace and relief that only God can give, no matter how good your life is, it will end in catastrophe. 
forever. No matter how bad your life is, it will still end in catastrophe without the Lord. I've heard that before too. Have you heard that? Lots of people say that. Oh, bless his heart. He had such a hard life and he died of this. I'm sure the Lord's going to take care of him. Nope. You can go through and get everything wrong in life and get a raw deal every single turn and still go straight to hell. Or you can get everything you could possibly imagine in this world and walk right into hell too. The only thing that's different is if you put your faith in him. And after you have, you must be obedient in the good and the bad. And you must look for the long game because someday God will bless you. Maybe in this life or maybe in the one day. I pray that you seek God first and everything else we can worry about later. Judy, would you mind just playing an instrumental for us today? I'll let you pick whatever you'd like. And while she plays that, I want us to really consider this. I want us to think about some of the good things in our lives. And I want you to think about some of the bad things. And I want you to ask yourself the question, are you being obedient in the good and the bad? Are you mistaking the positive as somehow a sign of God's favor when really he may not be real pleased with you? Are you mistaking the horrible things in your life, thinking, well, God must hate me? Does he? Have you come to a point in your life that you've submitted to him? So that no matter how good or how bad your life is, ultimately the reward is one that he gives you. Because that's the reality for all of us. Someday, we'll either be rewarded for something we didn't do, and that's heaven, or rewarded for something we did do, which is sin, and that's hell. So let's think about that for just a minute. Is it a, we'll have a hymn. What are you gonna play? Do you want... <laughs>